This is GSAP Conversations from the Graduate School of Architecture, Planning and Preservation at Columbia University in New York City. I'm Dean Amal Andraus. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Shritama from the AD program. And I'm Yuling from the MMARC program. Welcome back to GSAP Conversations. This week, we hear from alumni Charles Renfro and Jose Esparza Chankai. AD graduate Charles Renfro is currently a partner at Diller, Scofidio and Renfro and a board member at the Storefront for Art and Architecture. CCCP graduate Jose Esparza Chonkai serves as the executive director and chief curator of the Storefront for Art and Architecture. During their conversation, they revisit their time at GSAP. They also discuss their involvement with Storefront and consider its unique role in the field. As a multidisciplinary thought organization, Storefront has long existed at the intersection of their personal, professional, and academic interests. Charles Renfro shared with us his most important and provocative projects in the SNR and Storefront. He also describes his continuing interest in curious space and culture-making public facilities that negotiate physical connections among people. Thanks for listening. I'm Jose Esparza Chonkui, Executive Director and Chief Curator at Storefront for Art and Architecture. I am a graduate of Columbia University's GSAP, of the Master's in Science in Critical, Curatorial, and Conceptual Practices in Architecture from 2012. Uh, and I'm Charles Renfro. I'm a partner at uh, Diller Scofidio and Renfro and a board member at Storefront for Art and Architecture um, and work with Jose there. Uh, I'm also a graduate of um, the AAD program at GSAP uh, from 94. So from AAD to partner at a large firm and a board president at Storefront for Art and Architecture, um, I thought it was interesting in starting with thinking about what it means to be involved in a cultural institution such as Storefront and perhaps maybe also what, what was your first encounter with Storefront and how you ended up being a board president. Sure. I moved to New York right after undergraduate school at Rice in 89, so I've been here 30 years. And I dove right into the profession of architecture, working with Smith, Miller, and Hawkinson, also Columbia uh, teachers, occasional teachers. And Storefront immediately presented itself as a place that people in this liminal mode between um, school and work could explore ideas further, ideas that were interesting to them personally um, and professionally both. And uh, so while I was working at um, Smith, Miller, and Hawkinson, and before I went to graduate school at Columbia, I w did several projects uh, that were shown at Storefront for Art and Architecture. I was, you know, I was a kid, you know, I was in, in my mid-20s. But the first uh, exhibition I participated in was called The Queer Space Show, um, and it was for the 25th anniversary of Stonewall. And, you know, I had no idea that a kid a year out of undergraduate school, two years out of undergraduate school, could participate in a show at Storefront. It was, it was you know, life-changing because I could wrap together professional interests and academic interests and personal interests in dealing with uh, the idea of being gay in New York City. You, you're talking about how I moved into the board work, you know, the, the first step was getting involved in Storefront from a, from a kind of content point of view mm -hmm. back in the early 90s. And because it was so influential, Storefront was so influential to me then, and grounding and, and also exhilarating, and, you know, the conversation was, was 
wonderful and different than academic conversation, partly because it had a kind of freedom that wasn't um, bound by academic um, requirements that I had always set my sights on Storefront as a place that I wanted to stay involved in. And then I was asked in about 2009, 10 years ago, to join the board um, from a couple of board members, Peter Guggenheimer. And of course, I took, I took them up you know, immediately. I'd never been on a board, but I got there and it felt like family. It felt like a homecoming. And I think I was nominated for president a year after I started board work. And so uh, I was like, I have no idea how to do this, but I did it and worked throughout Ava's tenure, Ava Frank's tenure, um, and it was really thrilling for me. Fantastic. I find it quite telling that your first engagement with Storefront was the fact that you were involved in a sort of exhibition that had a political dimension that, that really understood architecture beyond its shape and form and design conceit. Um, and perhaps you can maybe talk a little bit more about how you think of these places, such as Storefront, that exhibit ideas, that produce ideas, um, as how, how they can advance the profession of architecture or an expanded understanding of architecture. Well, I'm, for me, Storefront is, is, is well beyond a professional organization. It's a thought organization, as you just said. It's about um, mining, uh, making, presenting, exhibiting uh, ideas, pulling ideas from people and, and showing them to other people. So while traditionally we've appealed to architects, often to young architects who've just finished school, and uh, so it's a, sort of a bridge institution that spans the deep thought that you sometimes uh, are able to apply in school to work in the world of, of architecture. To me, it's not a professional organization. We have lots of those already. We've got the Center for Architecture. We've got uh, Architectural League, uh, both of those, and, and the Van Allen Institute. All, all three of those sister organizations have, have different roles in the world of, of architecture and design and, and uh, urbanism. But though they are really focused more on the profession of building and making and making cities. Whereas I think Storefront is, is still interested in thought about, well, the world around us. And it doesn't necessarily have to do with the profession of architecture at all. In fact, I think one of the exciting things about your program is that, that you've implemented this year and that I imagine coming for the next few years is that it's very deftly stitched together people with a foot in the professional world of, of architecture, design, and building with lots of other people that are in kindred disciplines but aren't in the profession of architecture. And, uh, and I think that that's really um, a, th a thrilling uh, direction, you know, it's very grounded in things that we understand, but it's also got arms out into to the unknown, and I think that's really exciting and what's so great about Storefront. Yeah, I think something that's been very helpful for us at Storefront now is to not necessarily think about Storefront as an organization that's focused in architecture, but rather thinking about the built environment. And this kind of like broader concept really encompasses a larger set of social, political, economic relationships that can be presented within the exhibition space through uh, different types of provocations. Um, I think it's quite interesting the way DSR as a, an architecture office, which is very widely known for its provocative ideas, um, has now really been shaping the kind of 
landscape of our built environment, um, specifically in New York in the last decade or so. Perhaps maybe we can get your thoughts on how ideas become forms and ideas become buildings and how those shape the ways we navigate throughout our cities. Yeah, sure. I mean, DSNR is a firm that is not founded in formal language. We don't have a consistent uh, formal approach. It's interesting. I'm just going to digress because I think about my time at Columbia when Bernard Chumi was there and um, he introduced the paperless studio, which happened the year that I was in the AAD program. And the emphasis was so much on formal exploration, um, you know, of parametric modeling and all of the things that could happen in the computer's brain and how it could make unknown forms that were truly thrilling and and, um, sort of related to to natural um, form making. Than, than our civic lives. I, I never fell into that. I, that was never my interest. And um, so when I left school, I was attracted to those offices, this, this being chief among them, Diller and Scofidio at the time, that um, was thinking about culture with a capital C first and, and, and sort of using the tools of architecture and city making and place making to address uh, issues of culture and to contribute to, not just address. It wasn't. It's not just critical. It's actually uh, we're adding things to our environment, and I think that's uh, one of the things I tried to bring to the practice here after joining Liz and Rick was to make this propositional, not just not just critical, and that through an understanding, a deep understanding of culture and the world around us, that we can come up with forms. Sometimes they're new forms. But that their work is really to engage our culture. Yeah, there's um, the, there really is such an intrinsic relationship between culture and architecture that I think also you've been involved with many of these very important projects that really kind of take the lead on, on, on this idea. And perhaps you can talk about a few of the projects that you've been involved in that excite you the most. I, I've been lucky um, and a little bit blessed, although that's not a word I use um, religiously, in that I've been able to work on uh, some of the most important and game-changing public projects in New York City, but actually in the world. And I'm going to go back and talk about Queer Space and how that show at Storefront was so influential because it let me think about our public spaces differently and, and, and think about them architecturally and provocatively. And I think if, when I look back at my career here at DSNR, the most important and interesting projects somehow all tie back to queer space. They all tie back to um, making space that, that forces a negotiation between people in the flesh that eschews the digital and the communication through profiles and uh, through mediation, but actually insists on body-to-body communication, that pheromones are still part of our existence in the public sphere. And I'll talk about three projects that I think epitomize that, and and each of them I've worked very uh, hard on, and they're very dear to me. Uh, The first being the Blur Pavilion. Uh, the Blur Building um, that was made for the Swiss Expo 2002 uh, is a building made of Lake Neuchâtel, literally pumped through 33,000 fog nozzles to make a cloud that one could occupy. Uh, so visitors were invited to walk on the deck that's the size of a football field completely in whiteout conditions without the ability to see 
anything or anyone. Uh, and so what happened is it, it made a place of, 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 of pure kind of cruising and body connections. Uh, no longer could you rely on vision and visuality. You had to deal with bodies in space together. Um, and so I think it and, and, and also had a geolocation app that predates um, social sites like Grindr and uh, th that are geolocators and also dating apps. So that was kind of fun. Of course, the High Line in New York City um, is probably our best known project. And when we got that line, when we got that project, we had all visited the High Line as a ruin, crawling through chain link fence and over broken glass and used syringes. And realized that the, the, the kind of possibility of that space as a public space was already there in its state as a ruin, uh, where it was um, lascivious and um, and uh, uh, dangerous, and um, and you could you could do do things uh, not witnessed by other people. Yet you're passing through pub people's uh, spaces or bathrooms or bedrooms, um, and so there's a voyeuristic quality of the line. We did our design based on trying to keep those those um, uh, marginal qualities intact and to make that be a space of, of simply enjoying the city and enjoying other people's company in the city uh, in, a, in a sort of random and sexy way. And then the last project, which takes up uh, on that project, is Zariadie Park in Moscow. Um, uh, this is a space uh, on Red Square immediately adjacent to the, to the Kremlin uh, where we won a competition to design a new park. And in that park, we made pathways that, ha that divided and, and, and subdivided and went into forests and um, made spaces of intimacy and spaces of uh, you know, grandeur and spaces of broad vistas and, and of, of complete... Uh, isolation, and in doing that, we've we've made a phenomenon in Moscow. People talk about that park as being a, a place where people go to have sex, and um, you know that that it's really one of the things it's most known for, aside from its you know beautiful moments of of vistas to the city. I think that that's uh, a validation of making a kind of public space and in um, a big uh, world city that on the edges of the Kremlin, you can make the place where Muscovites and visitors feel safer than anywhere else in the city to express themselves um, uh, intimately. I think it's fantastic and quite telling to be able to read these projects through that lens and, and, and the way it connects back to, to this first experience at Storefront that you had um, as you graduated from AAD. I think it's important to think about architecture in this expanded sense and in a way where it can have those associations to ideas um, and figure out ways of how those ideas can be made visible through either forms uh, but also other strategies of how to make them public. Yeah, I'd like to just uh, talk about um, uh, one of your shows, Brigada de Tierra. I'm trying it in my, my best uh, Puerto Rican Spanish. At any rate, what I loved about that show that you've, you just concluded at Storefront is, sure, it's a, it was about the art that's being made there. Sure, it's about um, the, collect the collectivity of artists, but really it was about people 
and policy in a way. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to make policy visible, but what as architects and designers and people that are building our cities and our spaces um, and our lives through our cities and spaces, we have to reach deeper into places that are invisible, like policy, um, and somehow make those things become the content of um, places like Storefront where ideas are not merely about what you see and what is built, but really about um, well, what's built um, mm-hmm. that's underneath the, the, the buildings, the, the foundations of the buildings. Yeah, and that definitely connects to, to our current show, uh, which is titled Ministry for All, and it looks into, it basically unveils storefront facade or exposes the facade um, and it removes its protective shell, like outer shell, displaying it inside, uh, leaving a fragile, a fragile and kind of delicate architecture, basically. I think um, it, what you mentioned to, to somewhat highlight what is actually invisible and try to make that visible is quite important, especially now. I think that um, this concept of a fragile architecture in, could tell us a bit more about the way or, or help us understand the way uh, our cities are made, our relationships are created, um, and the architectures of our social lives with um, kind of commenting on the importance of maintaining those or, or taking care of those, um, which is basically something that we're having to do now at Storefront through our exposed and fragile facade. We're basically having to deal with um, kind of doing daily checkups of the facade and almost like like, like checking the performance of the facade as, a, 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 as something that we have to take care of. Yeah. You've turned Storefront's facade into a body in a way. Mm-hmm. You've turned it into a, a kind of living organism um, that is a metaphor for our um, ecosystems um, and our governmental systems um, and our natural systems that are, that are under siege now too and i you know i love that um i love that that facade that steve hall and Vito akanchi did together has been such great fodder to allow various directors over the years to to use it to demonstrate bigger ideas um you know luckily that facade is landmarkable in a couple of years so um probably new york city will have it for some time but not if you guys destroy it first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that probably won't happen. But <laughs> I think some board members would be a little upset if that yeah, happened. Yeah, yeah. This podcast was produced by Columbia GSAP. You can find more information about the school on our website at arc.columbia.edu.